Hey boomers, we're the humans who think they're making a podcast. <laughs> I'm Dave Bulmer. I'm a YouTuber and a song silly man and a writer, and I've been reading Sonic the Comics since it first, since before it first came out. And I am Chris McFeely. I am also a recent uh, entrant into the world of YouTubemanship. <laughs> My stuff mostly surrounds Transformers. I have been reading Sonic the Comic since close to the start. The sixth issue was my first. Uh, of course, I have gone back and read it all since in my adulthood, so this is not my first exposure to these stories. Now, we are not talking about the American Sonic comics published by Archie. We are talking about Fleetway Edition's British Sonic comics called Sonic The Comic, which began on the 29th of May 1993. But I'd come to it a little before that. Every week, my grandparents would come over on a Saturday, and they would bring sweets and comics. And the comics were usually things like Buster, and the sweets were usually things like Pick and Mix. And uh, one week, it was a Thunderbirds comic. I was not really, I couldn't get into Thunderbirds, but it had attached to the front cover the preview for the upcoming Sonic comic. And I can remember exactly my response. I said, oh, this is exactly what I need. And we're going to be discussing that in a bit. Chris, when did you first get into this? I can't remember when I first heard about it. I think I must have just seen it on a store shelf, but kind of a similar thing with me is that it was uh, my dad would go out to get the papers on a Saturday morning and he'd always come back with a comic. So I had read the British Transformers comic back in the day, of course. All the standards, Beano, Dandy, Buster, Wizard, Chips, Dopper, and all those other strange euphemisms. <laughs> um, the, the Turtles comic was probably the big action comic that I would have read around that time. Yes, with art by Richard Elson. That's right, there was Richard Elson art in it. But Sonic the Comic is memorable to me because it was the first comic that I decided to buy myself with my pocket money. Oh. I'd seen it around and I decided... Okay, I'm going to start this. And I made that decision right before we left uh, on summer holidays. Mm. The whole summer holiday, I was like, right, as soon as I get back, I'm going to get the newest issue. I'm going to go up to the corner shop and I'm going to get the newest issue. We were barely back home before I was back out again to go and get what turned out to be issue number six. <laughs> so this first issue, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that there was this preview issue. But since you didn't share in that, I don't really want to bang on about it too much. And especially since it's essentially... The same as issue one, but with lots of the pages missing. Yeah, it's just the first page of each uh, comic, and then basically what are just adverts for the fact the comic's going to exist soon. That's right. It was half the size, though, of a, or maybe even less. Oh, it was yeah, tiny, It was a very little it, yeah. comic, yeah. So, it, Oh, and by the way, again, most listeners are going to be thinking comic. They're going to be thinking, you know, the size of a Marvel or DC comic. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, here in the UK, we had different size comics in those days. If you live in the UK now and have read things like the Beano or the Phoenix, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, back in the perhaps we ought to set the scene generally yeah it was absolutely an ordinary part of life in those days folks oh yeah back in the like, imagine if I, I, I kind of want to put the you know what's the Hovis music <laughs> I don't know the name of it I want to put that on here because we're, we're talking about the olden days in merry old England there we go isn't that beautiful <laughs> well you used to be able to go in to Almost any shop that grown-ups would go in. We're talking corner shops. We're talking W.H. Smith's, Woolworth's. And there would be a rack of newspapers and magazines and comics. I feel like Sonic, I guess, was what today, and even, even man, honestly, was a very prestige-feeling magazine. It oh, was yeah. big. It had a, a oh, lovely yeah. paper stock, uh, glossy covers. It was a prestige product. Because comics, you had 
you had the Beano, you had your Buster and newsprint, Wizard and they were all done on newsprint. But then, then you did have your tie-in comics, and that's where the STC mold was fairly standard. Sonic the comic was. When it began, not really a particularly standout thing compared to the Thunderbirds comic or the, the Ghostbusters comic. There were, there were all these different things for all these different properties. But Sonic the comic stayed alive for such a long time. Usually there would be a cartoon on TV and there would be a tie-in comic and there would be two or three different short comics in there. There would be a couple of puzzles and it would last a few months or however long the, the, the craze lasted. Sonic the comic lasted longer even than the Turtles one lasted, mm-hmm. and that's still on. So Sonic the comic comes out in something close to the mould of the ordinary cartoon tie-in comic. The difference being, this is the first time it's, as far as I'm aware, ever been done for video games, and it isn't quite the same format as usual. Instead of the, here's a couple of comics, here are some puzzles, here's maybe a prose story in a letters page... Instead, they wanted it to be more like a games magazine, but built around comics. So you had, right at the start, a seven-page Sonic standalone comic. And you had a couple of other shorter comics, maybe about four pages long, based on other Sega properties, Sega games. And then between that, you had news, reviews. It was like the sort of stuff you would find in a games magazine, but pitched a bit younger. And the thing that I always tend to compare it to mentally is 2000 AD. Yes. Because whereas uh, the Beano and the Dandy had an, a nameless editor who would be replying to readers' questions and uh, and letters and, and would be in the footnotes making snarky remarks. Ed. Um, <laughs> 2000 AD, they had an editor, but, but they were presented as Tharg. You know, in character as an, an alien or a being from the future or whatever. I didn't read 2080. I don't know what it was. No, um, neither did I. <laughs> Sonic the comic followed in the vein of that with uh, Megadroid. Yes. Who would introduce the comic and be the voice of the footnotes and everything. So it was like part 2080, part video game magazine. That's right. Uh, and it was, yeah. it was the 2080 format. And 2080, mm. which listeners is a classic comic in the uk where judge dread comes from the success of sonic the comic was that it did fall into following um the pattern that a lot of very successful british um boys action comics not to gender it but yeah. but boys action comics would would fall into which was treating the subject matter seriously and uh, telling big, epic action stories yeah. in amongst all the, the regular silliness. And in that spirit, again, the thing that I would compare it to the most is the 1980s Marvel Transformers comic. Oh. Which started out as a, a property tie-in reprinting the American stories, but eventually started producing its own original stories with big, sweeping um, epics that became a massive seller. It lasted for seven or eight years mm-hmm. and was outselling 2000 AD at one point. Wow. I don't I don't have Sonic sales figures or anything, but it wouldn't massively surprise me to learn that was the sort of height of popularity that Sonic the comic reached. We'll try and find that out for future episodes. We will try and find that out. Someone will tell us, I'm sure. But in both cases, it happened for the same reason. British comics writers and artists just can't be tied down. <laughs> yep, yep. We just start going off on one, and that's what happened in both cases. Certainly in the case of Sonic the Comic, and this is how this is the journey we're going to go on, listener, it does start off as a kind of a, well, let's write these tie-in stories, and then quickly, Nigel Kitching gets the reins. He's going to be the main writer that we're going to be paying attention to over the course of this series, because he found the perfect balance between writing stories that felt naturally like they came from this world that the games gave us, and just writing cool stories that he wanted to write, you know, within the mandate. And that mandate was actually quite loose for a long time. And so he was able to write some really damn good comics, just uh, by uh, by anyone's standards. Yeah. 
So, should we begin then? Should we just dive in? I, I think that seems like a good setup to dive into how things started, because the things we've described are not present in this issue. <laughs> Ish- <laughs> issue 1, the 29th of May, 1993. <sighs> if you want to know what happened in this comic, this podcast is going to be a way to find that out, because we're going to go through that. Um, sharper than a cyber razor cut, it's Sonic the Comic. That's the first thing that it ever said in STC, right there on the front cover. Sharper Dave, than a cyber... Yes. What's a cyber razor cut? Well, a cyber razor cut, I'm glad you asked... Um, a cyber razor cut comes from the TV advertisement for Sega that was going at the time. Now, I did not I... know there was a real answer to this. I'm all here. Really? Not... Yes, tell me more, Dave. That was a genuine question. That was a... Well, it was a joke, Dave. I didn't think there was an answer. Please tell me more. Oh my gosh. Okay, there was a television advertisement. It had in it a man who people older than me knows who he is, but I don't. So I'm just going to say... Imagine Jim Sterling in sort of... Well, I was going to say imagine Jim Sterling in Funny Round Dr. Robotnik glasses, but, like, that's how Jim Sterling presents himself. Imagine Jim Sterling. Imagine he is a barber, right? The advert opens. A cool dude sits down at the barber shop. Hey, you. NASA. And he says, give me the cyber razor cut. cut. And the the barber, who resembles Jim (laughs) Sterling, goes... The Cyber Razor Cut. The Cyber Razor Cut. Yes! And then he puts on his special goggles, he gets out some equipment, and he just essentially starts, like, drilling the man in a way that doesn't quite explain itself or make sense. He opens the man's arm, and he's got all pistons and gears and stuff in there. The man is playing Sonic 2 and other games while this happens. And it never quite establishes what old Jim does to the man. I don't know whether he turns him into a cyborg, whether he fixes his cyborg arm, whether he gives him a haircut. At that point, the advert doesn't care anymore. It only cares about the phrase, give me a cyber razor cut. And that was to be Sega's advertising catchphrase for a while until, you know, people cottoned on and it didn't mean anything. (laughs) That's what a cyber razor cut is, and that is why something would be advertised as being sharper than it. To be this good takes it's Sonic the Comic, starring the world's most famous blue hedgehog, McFeely, and he is blasting into the frame, he's got his fist up, he's running towards us, he's got his little spikes, he's got his little grin, it is Sonic, he is dominating the front cover in a cloud of smoke with sort of sunlight explosions coming out, and it says, the UK's official Sega comic, first mega issue, 95p. 95p. All for the days. But if you think all we're getting is a bit of Sonic for 95p, you're sorely mistaken, Chris. It's star- this comic is starring the world's most famous blue hedgehog and the, the Sega, Sega superstars. superstars. You've got Shinobi, action with the Master Ninja. You've got Golden Axe, Might and Magic in a Savage World, and more. More. All new all-action stories inside, plus the Mega News. The Mega News. Not just regular news. You only get the news on TV. That's what your parents watch. Yeah, boring. We've got the Mega News here. We've got reviews and tip zones. And you can win a Sega Mega CD and lots more. That's what's going on in this. And it was a big... Oh, I said earlier and didn't finish the sentence. Don't imagine a comic the size of the Archie Sonic comics or comics of that, you know, that you get at a, at a comic shop. It is something a bit more like... Gosh, how would you even explain the size of these comics? They were big. They were wide. Well, it's... At least A4. No, it was bigger than A4 because you can't fit it into a scanner that much, I can tell you. Only just. <laughs> so let's crack it open. Yes. Control Zone. 
On the inside cover we find a whole page covered in stuff. A welcome screen section, a how to use this comic section, and a chart section. But let's start above it all where it says Control Zone, your online guide to the sensational world of Sega and Sonic the Comic. Hosted by Megadroid, and there is an illustration of Megadroid. Oh yeah. There he is. How long did it take you to recognise that this was an anthropomorphised Mega Drive? Because for me it took about... 20 years. Uh, right away? <laughs> Good. You are a sensible person with a functioning mind. It is very clear that this is supposed to be a Mega Drive come to life. Which is what we called it over yes. here. Yes, never mind any of that Genesis nonsense. So the, the control zone was Megadroid's page. She would welcome you to the comic with a little letter telling you, essentially just telling you what was in the issue. That's right. In the case of this issue, it's how to use this comic. It's It's... Another description of what's in the issue. That's right. Well, <laughs> um, we didn't know yet. We had no idea what we were facing. That's true. But it would usually be like news bites and things and, and upcoming free gifts or upcoming competitions or competition results or something like that. I'm going to I'm gonna call you up on a bit of language there. It wasn't quite competitions. No? We'll get there when we get there. He gives us some kind of introduction with, with various little bits of language like prepare to experience the hottest comic on the video game scene. Oh, he was a hype man was Megadroid. He really was. Yeah. And of course, that, that introduction, hey, Sonic Boomers. Yes. Uh, we remained became, boomers for the whole duration. We remained boomers. We we were boomers that became... I'm not sure what they called readers of 2080. Earthlings or earthlets or something. But it's uh, it's, it's another bit of UK comic parlance, isn't it? Yeah. It's part of that, that little... Uh, when you open the comic, you're opening up another little universe, you know? That's right. You, you're stepping into something. It, it's a little it's a little element. It's the same where they have the uh, the fictional character answer yeah. the letters at the end of the comic, where you feel you're... And it's, it's by using an editor, uh, an editor character, it doesn't insult the intelligence of the child by asking them to believe that Sonic is really answering their letters or introducing them to his right. comic. You know, the, the, the fiction of the comics contained within the, the magazine is preserved, but you still get that a little uh, void between the realities outside the comic and inside the comic that's bridged by the existence of this fictional editor character and this little world that he creates for you with his language and the terminology. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it and it felt like that. It really felt like a little it world. It genuinely did. Like you were a part of a little something that other people couldn't understand. That you were you were part of like a family or a club That's right. of, of people who were in the know with this special, unique language. And so Megadroid, presumably editor Richard Burton, because that's certainly mm. how it works yes. on 2000 AD, is that Tharg is the editor. Um, yes. Gives us a little hint of what's to come. There are going to be features, compos, and fabulous free gifts. And, and there we hit that word, compos. Compo. It's it's never explained what a compo is because we knew yeah. what a compo was. It yeah, was a competition. A, it's a British parlance again. Elsewhere on, I believe, the same page. Yes, uh, in in the give up data section, it asks us to enter the great compos and win mega prizes. Compos. <laughs> and there was no, there was it, 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 we wouldn't have flagged that up at all. No, I didn't even 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 when I was rereading this, I didn't no. pause to even chuckle. No. Because that's what it is. It's a combo. That's what it is. It's a combo. How do we use this comic? Uh, we are given instructions for activating Sonic the Comic. One, read the strips. We read it. Makes sense. We're going to be given some comics about stuff. Two, run the zones. Doesn't quite make as much sense. So they explain that that's their word no, Read it for things like the reviews page and R stuff like that. Read them. Read the pages. Read the pages. Mm. And three, yeah. give up data. And what they mean by that is... We desperately, and this is a quote, we desperately want your input. They want readers to just send stuff in to give them ideas what to put in the comic, presumably. They want high scores, letters, drawings, take part in the mega challenge. I don't know what that was. 
No, I don't think that ever actually... Yeah, well, they mentioned it on the... It's actually just to the left here. There was uh, a high score. It says, stand by for the Mega Challenge. Oh, yes. How well do you think you can do at a designated game against the clock? I don't remember, so I presume it's from something from the first six issues, so we'll see as we go. I don't remember it either, so if it happened at all, it was a bit that I didn't care about. Also quite possible it didn't, They seem to be suggesting that uh, they're going to say a game, and you should play that game for a certain amount of time, and then you just... Tell them how well you did, and they. Oh print no, it. no, no! I can remember that they needed you to send in a photograph of the TV screen. The Sega charts. Oh, the Sega charts. These went for a long time. Yeah, these were real. These were real charts that showed yep. you what was really happening. Yeah, compiled by compiled by Elsper and sponsored by Penguin. So they would set this alongside and Gallop, the little imaginary robot man who edited the comic, and it would just it was just that little bridge of fiction and reality. And so, to set the scene, let's step back in time and see what games were charting in May of 1993. At number 10 this fortnight, down from an undisclosed higher position, it's European Club with Soccer. At 9, down from last time, it's that little mouse with the big ears, it's Mickey with World of Illusion. Down to number 8, it's Megalomania. How's the album doing? We don't know. This is the Mega Drive charts. At number 7 this week, oh no, those lemmings are down a few places. At 6 is Sonic 2, rolling downhill with the rest. A new entry at number 5, they're tiny, they're toony, they're tiny tunes with Buster's Treasure. Streets of Rage next, and no wonder they're so cross, they're down to number 4. Climbing up to number 3 this fortnight, what's that I hear? It's Echo the Dolphin. At number 2, a non-mover, it's Road Rash 2. Which means that at number 1 once again, it's PGA Tour Golf 2. PGA Tour Golf. Who cares? I mean, I sound incredulous, but I owned it, so... Did you? <laughs> yes, I did! Wow, what can you tell me about that? Because it sounds so boring. I didn't pay a lot of it, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Master System now, and yeah, can you do see... You, do you really want to do all of them? Yep! Okay. Can you... <laughs> can you see who's down at number 10? I can't. It's the Ninja. A re-entry at 9. Looks like you're going back for a double dip of Double Dragon down at 8. What comes after Burner? It's G-Lock. At 7, moving up the charts, I wish they all could be, it's California Games. Diving in at number 6, a re-entry for Darius 2. A non-mover at 5, it's Wimbledon Tennis. Up at 4, wab blab blab, it's Tasmania. (laughs) (laughs) This might be a touch overwrought as a bit. (laughs) At number 3, did you put a blocker down? Because the lemmings aren't moving. At number two, fittingly, it's Sonic 2 for another week. And at number one, Mickey Mouse 2. Which is what, Land of Illusion? Dunno. Time to move on to the Game Gear now, and standing staunch at number ten, it's Axe Battler with A Legend of Golden Axe. Second Dime Lucky at number nine for Donald Duck. At eight, the Prince of Persia's taken a tumble. Batman Returns, returns at number seven. Moving up to sixth place, we're going off-road. It's super off-road. And up to five, it's all about to kick off. Super kick-off, that is. Unflappable at four, it's Tasmania. Unslappable at three, it's those Streets of Rage. The Lemmings remain at number two. And so, at number one, who else? It's Sonic 2! (laughs) Here we are, then. The inaugural episode of Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, this is quite a momentous occasion, don't you think? This very first one. I do. 
I think it also belies the heights that the the comic would reach. This comic, if I'm 100% honest with you, I am unable to look at objectively because, God, I stared at these images for so long and so often. Sure. And in some way, they really do form this shape in my heart of, of what a comic is and, and especially an adaptation comic because what we were about to read was essentially an adaptation of Sonic the Hedgehog as a concept now this the Green Hill Zone particularly this Dave is a perfect point and it ties into the heart of why I love Sonic the comic and why to me it will always be the definitive version of Sonic that's because it does one thing even from this very first issue it does it that no other piece of Sonic media has ever done which is that it accurately represents the world of the games Mm -hmm. as they appear in the game yeah that's right everything else from sonic whether it's the adventures cartoon the archie comics the sad am cartoon and all the many things even the stuff produced today that's working off the vastly different format the games have uh, post-adventure like sonic x for example they're always adaptations of the concept but sonic the comic working off of not to get too deep into it, but working off of a backstory that Sega of America had created by looking at the games mm-hmm. and ignoring anything that Japan had come up with at the time, yes. presents the world as it appears in the games. Zones, loops, rings, chaos emeralds, yep. special zones, yep. badniks, animals being inside them, star posts. Yep. Uh, it would have its own original characters and it would have its own uh, big plot lines that, you know, diverged considerably from where the games, from that sort of timeless form that the games took. Yeah. But when you read a, a comic strip, a Sonic the Hedgehog comic strip in Sonic the Comic, you were reading a comic book version of the game. Yeah. You weren't reading a story that was derived from the idea of the game. No, that's right. And I mean, Archie readers um, who... God bless them. I've had to deal with a lot of them in my time on the internet. And, <laughs> and, oh, a bit harsh. And they seem to be of the impression that the early Archie issues were also that. And they were not. No, they were not. Actually, you know, having read... I've read more early Archie than I have read later yeah. Archie. And they're actually quite fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's nothing wrong with them at all. It's a funny animal book. Yeah. But it's not. No, it's an adaptation of the base concept of Hedgehog versus Robot Man. No, nothing else. Yeah, but they've redesigned the Robot Man. They've redesigned half the character. You know, they've got Bunny Rabbit in it and so on. The zones don't exist. Uh, it's yeah. it's they're, they're freedom fighters hiding in a forest that's not from the games. Yeah. Uh, while Robotnik lurks in a city that's not from the games with robot minions that aren't from it's the games. It's difficult to figure out exactly how the development when it seems to have gone hand in hand with the development of the deke cartoon we now refer to as sat am yeah but we don't know who was in what room and at what point the comic emerged and at what point the cartoon emerged but very early on the literal first issues of archie are essentially slapstick as you say funny animal Mm. comic humor but they didn't even put that within the world of the games. They really just no. came up with something of their own. They just they just built upon the base premise of freedom fighters yeah. uh, fighting Robotnik to then build uh, very big and, and serious stories out of it. Eventually. Out yeah. of something that just happened to start with goofy, funny animal stuff. Yeah, and the, uh, the British version of that 
followed a similar track because it did develop. And to be fair, Sonic would, uh, especially when Lou Stringer would write it, uh, would, would never lose that sense of no, humour. That's and I think that's one of the key differences between STC and Archie is that even though STC also went down this track of them being a freedom team fighting against Robotnik, who who eventually did become a kind of a dictator, which was probably in some way derived from a cross pollination of ideas from the cartoon. Absolutely, yes. But in STC, it all developed out of the starting point of the games, and that is the only version that did that. Except, of course, you know Tyson Hess's Mega Drive comics. What last year? Year before? Oh yeah, I should. I I, I always forget to mention Sonic the Sonic Mania shorts that they've done recently. Oh yes, which is uh, which which do actually quite fairly represent. Yeah, and that's and that's how long we had to wait twenty five years. Is. And, mm-hmm, and someone mm-hmm. did it again, but STC until then was the only one. Oh, and and British media in general. I mean, yeah. now this is. I mean, it feels like we're trying to defer talking about the comic here, but there's not a lot to talk about. So it's important <laughs> to realize that there had been a book published prior to the release of Sonic the comic called Stay Sonic. Yes, a wonderful book. Which I think for a, a lot of British readers was their introduction to some of this stuff. Yeah. But it was all derived. It told the story that Sega of America had invented yes. uh, to provide a backstory and an origin for Sonic and Robotnik, yes. which is incorporated into the world of Sonic the comic very quickly by issue eight. It's all brought into it is. the story. They really, they really make it their own. Um, and it was always very odd to me when this story was sort of abandoned because very. more or less everyone agreed on it. In the UK, yes, absolutely. Sonic yeah. the comic, Stay Sonic, the game books, the Martin Adams novels. In the yeah. United Kingdom, that was the origin of Sonic. Like even in the US, it was it was published in like a like a promotional comic for the game, and that's it. Well, that's right. So the very first Sonic comic ever was it was an American comic that did not tie in with what the Archie comic eventually was at all. Because I don't think it existed yet. No, it didn't. But what I mean is Archie didn't go, well, this comic's out, so we'll do, we'll carry we'll on. We'll build upon yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, this this comic came out in which the story was, you know, turned into a comic, and more or less at about the same time. It became this book, Stay Sonic, in the UK. Not a novel, not a full-length novel. It was essentially... No, it was more of a guidebook. Yeah, it, it was... The, the first few pages were this story. The story of how Sonic got his powers and how Dr. Robotnik went from being a kindly scientist to, and to an evil scientist. Yes, more about which we shall hear when we reach issue number eight. Later, yes. Not for now. And then it was, and then it was uh, you know, tips and interviews yeah, yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. And not interviews with anyone who, you know, made up Sonic. We're talking about interviews no. with Tails, Right Said Fred. <laughs> <laughs> but this was baked into the UK scene, the UK fandom. This was understood. I know a lot of this stuff is most famous for being used in Sonic the comic, simply because of how enduring it became. Yep. But there was a there was this moment early in the franchise's life in the UK when everything was using this story. So UK media was the one that was accurately reflecting the world of the games in the media they were producing, which no other country was doing. That's right. And these days we speak of that in terms of like, the UK was actually doing this. All the books had the same story. But at the time... It was like, yeah, of course, that's the story. Because it's of the course. story, because we understood it. Yeah, why wouldn't everything be doing it? Because that's what it is. And the answer seems to be because Deke Entertainment developed a different cartoon than that. Mm, yeah. Because that was what they did for some reason. Yeah. And, because, so- and, and it wasn't unusual for a, a licensed cartoon about, you know, I mean, obviously this was a different thing, but like with toys and things that you would play with as a kid, it wasn't unusual at all for the cartoon to be a whole different scenario from no. the comic or or what it was described on the back of the packaging, yeah. you know, from turtles to transformers. But we knew the comic was the right version. 
and the books and all uh, the other stuff. Because all the other stuff supported it. Yeah. The cartoon was the aberration. Sonic. So the story of this first issue is a very simple one. Uh, and th actually, the, the funny thing is that for all that I've just said there about this active, accurately representing the world of the comic, uh, being brutally honest, it's, it's to the detriment of this very first issue. Because this first issue is literally nothing more than Sonic running through the Green Hill Zone and encountering features of the video game. Rock falls, spike traps, badniks and everything. And it doesn't make for a thrilling story, but certainly as a mission statement? It's very on, on money. <laughs> and there was a thrill to it at the time when you were a kid and you're reading this. You know, you bought this comic of, or you, well, you, let's face it, got your mum to buy this comic of Sonic. And here it was. This was exactly what you signed up for. This yep. is Sonic in comic form. And had it gone on like this, I imagine it would have got old very quickly. But I was very satisfied with what I was given here. As somebody who only came back to it years later, it's hard to judge it with a mindset of the time knowing where the comic went on to be. But it's easy to it's easy to understand the rationale behind it. Well, I do want to point out, though, the very first panel. Because it's half a page big. It's the first panel of the first Sonic comic. I, I think it warrants a certain amount of examination. Because it has so much in it. What we are seeing is Sonic spin attacking his way out of the panel, essentially. Having run, and you can see this trail of little indistinct Sonics that have run and then curled up into a ball and then spun round through a, a badnik which is exploding in front of us just enough that you can see exactly what it looked like before Sonic exploded it, but also it's exploding and a little animal is coming out. The little animal is saying, free, thanks Sonic, and you can see a loop in the background. And that is so much information about Sonic, all in one illustration. Yeah, it, it, it's like a it's like a piece of concept art or something. Yeah. Or a proof of concept uh, work of it. This is it. This is what Sonic is. That's right. Running around checkerboard loops and smashing open robots. And it's not a very good drawing of Sonic. No, not particularly. But... Uh, the, uh, Anthony Williams was the artist oh, on yes. this issue. Oh, yes. Let's do the credits. Uh, I made my notes. Okay, so we've got a script by Alan McKenzie. Mm -hmm. He was a writer for Doctor Who magazine, 2000 AD. We've got art by Anthony Williams, who's done DC, Marvel, 2000 AD. And he storyboarded Rose, the first episode of New Who. Ooh. And letters by Tom Frame, um, who sadly died in 2006. Oh. But when he did, he was the creator who had worked on the most 2000 AD stories of anyone. Ah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, there's a few letterers whose names are going to pop up. There was sort of yeah, three or I, four of like them. I, I'm sure you're the same as me, Dave. But but I poured over this comic so yeah. much that yeah, I came to know the letterers' names and I could recognize an individual letterer style. I still know a Tom Frame lettering anywhere now. Really, I never got that far. Um, oh no, okay, that's just me then. <laughs> <laughs> but. Tom Frame, Ellie DeVille, Ella Fell, these are names that, mm -hmm. that spring immediately to mind. I've got some of it up on my wall right now. Um, and I confess I don't know which one it is. <laughs> so although uh, basically what we're doing is running through the zone, there's a, a framing device, which is Robotnik's made a big machine. The big machine is going to pollute everything. It's sucking rings up, although when I was a kid, I admit, I thought it was blowing them out. And then Sonic... Just runs around saving animals because that's what he does, and then he spin attacks the machine and it blows up, and 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 that's that. I got a couple of things I want to draw attention to here, mind you. Mm. Beyond that first panel, we have on the first page our first egg puns. Yes, I mean now that's the thing because uh, although this issue is just very broadly like imagine the Green Hill Zone as a, it's kind of surprising that it's not Robotnik with the 
ball and chain at the very end of it. You know, it's, yes. uh, it's so much the Green Hill Zone just as a comic strip. Yes, no, that's a, that's a very good point because that would allow the, them to bring Robotnik himself into the comic and instead he just sort of lurks in the background mm. Cackling in an office somewhere. I think yes. he does show up in his egomatic. Yeah, he's, but he's not really poodling past. Not to fight. He's not just fight. there watching the fight. So uh, there's not a lot of the truly uh, unique story elements that we were talking about before. There's just this no. accurate representation of the games. But there are a few little things, little unique touches that we know from UK media. The egg puns being number one. Yeah, because Re- Doctor Robotnik is—he's a sort of—I don't know how to describe it. He's a sort of Eggman. He's he's an egg-like man, isn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. He no his his backstory is that he merges with all the evil on the planet and an egg <laughs> to turn into Doctor Robotnik. We though didn't know this at the time unless we had read Stay Sonic. Yeah. So these egg puns would have meant very little to most readers. I feel like well, certainly I know by the time I'd read issue six when we'd had Sonic two and we'd had the death yes. egg. Oh, I that's think, uh, a point. I think we knew, and, and we had the egg omatic, so we knew eggs were part of Robotnik's deal for some reason. But why? But again, the egg omatic isn't mentioned yet. So if you're only reading this comic, but that would have been in Stay Sonic. I mean, that was in Stay Sonic. Everything was in Stay Sonic. But assuming you didn't read that, if you were just reading Sonic the comic, uh, you had not yet learned why the egg stuff existed. And what that does is it. it, it <laughs> If you take it just by itself, it almost makes it look like it's being showrun in a clever way. Because eight issues later, you find out what those egg puns were about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but also, on the subject of Robotnik, we have here the viciously black-eyed Robotnik. Yes, before they decided they were goggles. Yeah, I mean, I assume they always were a yeah. pince-nez in the Japanese, Japanese design. But are, yeah. all we had was the sprite which has these black circles for eyes. And if you didn't know they're supposed to be little glasses, then you would think they were black eyes. And indeed, that's what Greg Martin thought when he painted the cover to Sonic 2. Oh, yeah, and yeah. so we were all used to this famous illustration of a giant, chasmically black-eyed Robotnik face crunching down over the 2 of the Sonic 2 logo. And so, yeah, in those days, Robotnik just had these cavernous eyes and i don't know if it was that he had no eyes in his head or if he had eyes but they were black or what it was oh, i would have said it was a that <laughs> in yeah i thought it was uh, nothing i thought he just had these holes in it it didn't matter it was no, just it was just what he looked like it was scary and it was a scary like. man and he's particularly scary in this and he's got this demonic like he's really drawn frighteningly in this one in the first picture you, I remember wondering if this was supposed to be a human or a machine of some sort. Yeah. Because he has this huge grill of teeth. The way that the wrinkle of his brow is drawn is so geometrically angled yeah. that, yeah, I thought he might be some kind of a robot. And the other big, I think, element of UK lore, you know, early Sega lore, is the presence of Porker Lewis, who actually gets named Jigged. Porker Lewis, sometimes called... Porker Harris. Um, I can't remember. Well, was he? Uh, well, he was called it once in one of the books. I can't remember if it was a game book or one of the Martin Adams novels. And then he shows up as Porker Lewis. I don't know why, except was this a joke? Uh, on... I don't know. Well, I don't know. I've spent years wondering. I was hoping you knew. Like, Parker Lewis can't lose. It's but, gotta be that. What? Hasn't it gotta be that? But what's the joke? But what's the joke if yeah, that's it? Like, because Porker Lewis isn't... He doesn't resemble Parker Lewis Parker in any other Lewis way. Parker Lewis loses all the time! <laughs> Did Parker Lewis even show here? I'd never heard of it until recently. I, I hadn't heard of it until... I, cer- certainly I know when I first heard of it, I was like, 
You mean like Porker Lewis? Yeah, and I've realised it doesn't matter because these names were invented by Sega of America. I I think it was all Madeline Schroeder herself. See, when this was being developed, when the Sonic, the first Sonic game was being developed, it was being made in Japan, but it was being brand-led in America because it was for America, except with a lot of sort of pushback from the Japanese team who thought, well, no, we've come up with this good character and it should be like this. And meanwhile, the heads of Sega America are going like, ah, this is way too like manga tropes that our kids won't understand. And Madeline Schroeder was the sort of the... She seems to be the person who went over to Japan with her ideas of how to fix it. She came up with many of the aspects of Sonic's design, such as I think exactly what his spines look like, yeah. that we now just take for granted. Oh, um, we used to take for granted until yeah. they, I mean, even before the end of Sonic the comic, but that's years from now. Yes, I'm looking forward to getting to that so we can gripe about that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the we are the worst people. <laughs> but she she comes up with all these ideas. The backstory we think was hers. I say we. This is the last thing I read claimed that it was, and I think the names of his little friends. Um, because basically in the games, when you would destroy a, a badnik, a robot, out would come a little animal. These are the ones we're seeing being rescued in this first issue. Mm-hmm. And they had names. They had names. And they, uh, it's obvious when you look at, say, the Archie stuff, yeah. that they based their animal-supporting characters on those things as well. Because there is a walrus, a rabbit, yeah. a whatever Sally Acorn is. Depending. And she's called Sally Acorn. And she's called Sally Acorn, of course, as well. Yes, that's one one point of commonality between the two. And we'll um, come to that when we reach Sonic the Poster Mag issue one. Oh, that's another one. Oh. <laughs> when we find an intermediary step in that development. But that's for another day. So yes, Porker Lewis is rescued by Sonic towards the end of this and we have this nice little two-panel joke where Sonic... I, I, I really actually like this. These yeah, panels. Sonic says, let's be more careful next time, kid, and then zips off. And Porker just Ding! points at him, looks at the camera, and says, he's my hero. And hey, listen, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, I believe was essentially a unlicensed version of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. So maybe he broke the fourth wall. Maybe that's what this is. Maybe we have a Parker Lewis joke here. I, don't, I genuinely don't know. Oh, maybe that's a good point. Yeah. No, I was going to go back to something you said there about Sonic's attitude and how the Japanese, you're talking about the manga tropes and everything. Mm. I'm not entirely sure how he's handled in Japan, besides how he is now, which is you know, absolutely this the, the hot-blooded hero who travels with the wind and goes yeah. wherever destiny takes him, but he's super laid back in the process, you know. And then American media, American media specifically, the kind of cool that sonic is is i struggle for a term to describe it but it's a kind of surfer or skateboarder kind of cool if yes. you know what i mean it's yes. a it's a laid-back friendly way past cool um, that was not bad not too bad huh? no but the sonic that we knew the only uh, and this is how i've, how I've always described because because a lot of american fans not not getting down on you guys but a lot of american fans can't get with sonic the comic sonic yeah because he can be quite mean in his jokes, the comic itself draws attention in future issues to a strange sense of humor. Certainly, as Kitching would go on to write it, it was very much humor and a pretense of cool to avoid or masquerade true feelings that he had. But the way I've always described it is he is actually, he's the platonic ideal of 90s cool. He's disaffected leather jacket sunglasses cool. Yeah. He's the cool kid in a in a TV show or film kind of cool. The kind of cool that other kids would aspire to. That's right. And that makes a lot of sense because that is the audience that essentially Sega were telling its players that they were. Yes. 
it projected that air of cool. Yeah, if you get a Mega Drive, you will be that kind of cool. That kind, exactly. And that is another reason why Sonic the Comic always read to me as true. Mm. You know, the the correct interpretation of things and an accurate representation of what everything else was presenting Sonic to be to me. That's right. But that's because here in the UK, Sega just had a better marketing push. Because in America, they didn't have that same thing. They didn't, they were, I don't know exactly what they were doing, but if you see the old Sega adverts there, it's it's like overblown cartooniness and sort of like, this is what a Super Nintendo does, but what about the Mega Drive? It's that sort of thing. It's bad enough that Sega Genesis has the most 16-bit games, but this new Sonic the Hedgehog, oh, he really dust my doilies. They say he's incredibly fast. Well, what's the hurry, mister? Hmm? And about his attitude. Smarty pants! Why can't it be more like that nice one, Mario? Oh! Ugh, whereas here, as I said before, you have this cool guy who's just like laid back playing Sonic, coolest guy in the world. He might be a cyborg. He doesn't even seem to care if he's a cyborg. Disaffected 90s cool yeah. is the only way I can describe it. Not to jump ahead five issues, but when you picture a human representation of that, it's it's kid chameleon. Yeah. You know, leather jacket, shades at night, skateboard under one arm. Yeah. Doesn't really give a toss about this, that, or the other. But if you push him far enough, he'll push back. <laughs> That's right. And it works, that persona works so well with Sonic conceptually because this is someone who is so fast that he's obviously always going to be impatient, having to wait for the world to catch up with him. I mean, particularly given that his sidekick is this young fox who isn't as fast as he is. A little guy following him around because he's cool and he wants to be like him. Again, a pure trope right out of the night. Right, and it ties in with, like, older brother, younger brother, which the mm. fact that they were presented as the older one and the younger one and their bros. Well, a lot of the people playing the games were that. We certainly were. It just all absolutely meshed perfectly. It really, really did. Second page, that big Sonic at the bottom, that is straight up copied from the Game Gear cover. Yep. There's so many tells in it, like the little lump at the side of his eye, the curl of his ear, these all come from the Greg Martin... Again, Greg Martin, the illustrator of so many official Sonic game covers in the 90s. Illustration for the 8-bit version of Sonic. And we see it again a couple of pages later. There's that picture again, but this time uh, with an angry mouth. Yeah, and that one on page four is, uh, is definitely from something, we can it's tell. It's from right? something. What they're not doing is putting clip art into the comic but mm. what they are doing is copying the promotional art that they'd been sent very brave actually on page three we have the back of sonic oh. always a contentious point always a tough one what yes. does that even look like anthony williams here just does it simply he just goes like right spikes 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 there's some spikes yeah he probably got it's the best thing to do there yeah and then on the, on the very next page we see that that head-on shot of sonic where we see that the spikes coming out from either side of it yes equally difficult to draw sonic from the front as sonic from the back but this was in the game right like because when he would um Boom! Die in the game. He would be. He would be face on, and you would see him fall off the screen. No, actually, he was slightly to the side, so the spikes were the same. It wasn't until Sonic Two that we saw the back of Sonic, and it, I don't think it was till Sonic Three that we saw the front of him. You know, that's a fascinating point then, because I was about to say that the American cartoons they yes. always presented him as simply having one row of spikes. Yes. So when you looked at him straight on, he was just a big round head, and there was just a, a line a, in the a, middle, a thin line that represented the front of the spikes. Revolting. 
grotesque. And that was wrong. Yes, exactly. Grotesque. But you can see why they came to that concept, because they just had pictures of Sonic from the side. And exactly. You because can it's interpret impossible. that, yeah. especially if you're looking at the sprites where mm. there's a more of a delineation between like the back of his head and the spikes, which really there shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. Sonic the Comics way was the right way to me. <laughs> and then, the only thing remaining to mention is that despite the format being advertised as a Sonic strip that's basically complete, and then some backup stories, which are ongoing stories... That were serials. Here yeah. we have a nod towards continuity, because... Already, We get yes. to the end of the seven-page story, and we, we discover, because it hadn't occurred to me even this time reading it, that we haven't had Tails yet. Mm. And Sonic says, Tails has been missing for ages... So I'm going to go and find him. And meanwhile, you have Robotnik flying off into the distance saying, I've got a bigger surprise ready for him. So it's as if they've got continuity going. But of course they, you know, yeah, didn't really. It's just, here's what's next, you know. They knew what they were going to print in the next issue. I mean, you wouldn't be 100% surprised to learn that, you know, the dialogue was edited after the fact to simply present a tie-in to the story that was coming up. Yes, and we know, at least to some extent, that there was some of that because in the preview issue that I mentioned earlier, we yes. have one page of each comic, literally just as like, hey, get this is going to be a thing that exists you'll read the rest later they don't cut there's no effort has been made to make them cut off at a point that makes sense so you're left wanting more and i oh let me tell you i you certainly were as soon as it came out i still remember i can still feel the sunshine on my skin as i sat can you feel the sunshine it brightens up my day to remember how it felt (laughs) sitting on the floor back against the wall of the newsagent reading my copy of sonic the comic issue one goodness knows where my mum had tossed it off to but (laughs) that makes her sound drunk (laughs) oh i have (laughs) i have a similar memory but again save it for the issue no egg puns that's the uh, that's what's different between the uh, the preview page and this page. That's another. So we know they were editing the dialogue. Oh, let's compare. So in the actual final printed issue, it says elsewhere a sinister figure watches, and Robotnik says, "How exasperating! Eggs aspirating. You gotta lean on the eggs, Sorry. Dave. Come on, take Sorry. take two, take two. <laughs> How exasperating! That hard boiled blue blur has escaped my badniks again." But I, Dr. Robotnik, genius eggs extraordinary, have a plan to fix that meddling hedgehog for good. Not to mention conquer the world. Definitely an element of Long John Baldry in your delivery there. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? I of course. Um Invincibility Snooping as Immortality and the power of life itself. Anyway, (laughs) in the uh, preview issue, he says, That blue speed freak escapes my badniks again! But I, Dr. Robotnik, brackets, PhD, failed... Better line? That's (laughs) That's a a better line. Why didn't they put that in? That's a good joke. That's a better line. (laughs) Have a plan to fix that meddling hedgehog for good. (laughs) Oh, yes. And conquer the world. (laughs) But not to mention conquer the world is a better line than, oh, yes, conquer the world. I can't decide because not to mention conquer the world. No, I prefer the preview version because it sounds like he just forgot and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to conquer the world. It's like he got hung up on that hedgehog, you know? So I like both versions, but I certainly think... PhD he should have said failed. PhD fail. Why did they edit that out? For the, and I know why they edited it out. Well, yeah, because it doesn't fit with the continuity, Dave. 
The continuity. Um, I believe you were saying that oh my it wouldn't goodness fit with the continuity. Me. What? Um, the... Excuse me. Um, actually, well, hey, he might have applied for a PhD after becoming Doctor Robotnik. Uh, he was already he was created as a doctor and also uh, uh, applied for it from where? Well, okay, here's my thought. Right, <laughs> Doctor Kinterbor, real doctor, right? Yeah, but then Doctor Robotnik, he doesn't want to have anything to do with that weakling, Doctor Kinterbor. So he wants his own PhD. In his name. And he will have applied... He will have just... Tra- Frankly, I think he will have awarded it to himself. And so the fact that he failed yeah. it is even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Refuso! Refuso! Um, yeah, what we have now is a, a double-page... No, it's three pages. Triple. It's a treble-page yeah. spread of reviews. And these are re- contemporary reviews. I'm not going to read them to you. They're not interesting enough for that. But there's a couple of things. Firstly, I just I like the way it sets the scene. What we've got here is Tom and Jerry on the Game Gear, which turns out, in fact, to have been Tom and Jerry the movie. You've got the Flintstones. You've got a James Bond game called The Duel. And you've got the X-Men. All four of which are amazing examples of the kind of games that were normal in those days. Sonic mm. the Hedgehog wasn't normal. The other good games you may have heard of from the era weren't normal. This was normal. Tie-in platformers, where you just generically jump about and press the odd button and collect the odd extra life, and no one cares. <laughs> but you, you have them anyway because your nan got it you for Christmas. There were so many of them, and here we have four. No, I didn't own any of these. No, so. me neither. Can't weigh in on the strange fact that four of the five reviews in this segment in an official licensed promotional magazine received scores in the 70s. Well. Which, as we all know, meant they were total sh**. I've got a different take on that. So one thing I've noticed, first of all, these are all by uh, a man called Tony Takushi. I looked him up. He's the creator of Mean Machines. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right? And there's one by David Gibbon. Not Dave Gibbons, the comic artist, but David Gibbon. And if my Googling is correct, he was the editor of the games pages on BBC CFAX. Ooh. And therefore the competitor to Mr. Biffo's Naughty Silly Digitizer. Now, apparently, he was quite a fierce reviewer on there, which might give us an idea of the house style at STC, because here he barely even says anything about James Bond the Duel on Mega Drive. I did notice that. Let alone yeah. anything, you know, particularly cutting. And no game gets under 70. True, true. That was as low as you could go with still being acceptable, I suspect that's what we've got here. I I think they've been told to be nice, go easy. You're allowed to give a game 70% if what you mean is none. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. So we've got Tom and Jerry, 70%. Rubbish. Flintstones. I think it's 85. 85%. They seem to quite like that. But then you've got this game, Road Avenger. Yeah, never heard of this one. Never owned a Mega CD. Neither did I. Well, I I did, but not until, like, you know, my wife got it me for my 20-somethingth birthday. Um, (laughs) Road Avenger, the review here, I think, undersells the fact that it's essentially an animated cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I was reading the review, and then I looked over the pictures, and I was like, wait, hang on. Well, I looked it up on YouTube. You're burying the lead It's a driving anime that's apparently 33 minutes long but what you do is there's just quick time events so it'll just go like press left and if you don't press it you get hit by a truck or something shinobi one two three so now we've got the first of the backup strips a peculiar characteristic of sonic the comic is that it wasn't just about sonic basically any sega property seemed to be okay so here we have the first one which is shinobi the fear pavilion part one based on 
the game Shinobi. Well, actually, I think it's Revenge, Revenge of, Shinobi. of Shinobi for the Mega Drive. That was the first Mega Drive. Was it? Well, no, to be fair, I've not played a single Shinobi game in my life. Dave, I have played a single Shinobi game in my life, and it was this week to get ready for this. <laughs> was it Revenge of Shinobi? It was. Or? So, for this comic, we have got a script by Alan McKenzie again, same as with Sonic. Mm-hmm. We've got art by John Howard, or ha- it's H A W A R D. Uh, he is of 2000 AD and the like. And it shows this is a 2000 yeah, AD looking strip. Lovely, lovely looking strip. Mm. You know, re- real proper quality artwork you know the sonic stuff is a bit slapdash but uh this is a lovely looking strip and letters by ellie deville whose name we will see here often um here giving the a's a little eastern twist yes now britishcomics.fandom.com claims of ellie deville that her work can be distinguished by her backwards q which i can't admit to having ever noticed did you Oh, I can't say as I did off the top of my head. Um, yeah, it's a rare letter. I wonder if it's one of those things where, you know, you, you just skim over it and you don't even notice yeah, whether the Q be. is backwards or not. I'm going to keep an eye out for that. No, it's not in this one anyway. No, I was, uh, having never played a Shinobi game, any attachment I felt to the character of Joe Musashi in the world of Shinobi was born from the Sonic the Comic strips. Because Shinobi would be one of the longer running ones. There were there were ultimately three Shinobi stories. Really? Three whole ones? Yeah. Three ones plus a poster magazine. Uh, really? I See, I didn't care for these. I was too young. I just didn't get it. Yeah, because this is not pitched young. No. This is a very straight, methodically paced. Yes. Because, uh, you know, where the Sonic story is a quickly done seven-page strip that blasts through a simple story, this is very much the first part of a six-part serial in which a ninja climbs a wall, yep. knocks out a dog, yep. scales a building, knocks out two guards, and comes down a flight of stairs. And that's all that happens in the story. And yet, you're engaged all the way through. Very engaged. Yeah. Reading this with adult eyes, this is easily my favourite comic in the issue. Oh, oh, out of this? Out yeah. of the, absolutely, it's, no question. I, it took me a while to warm to Shinobi originally, reading it at I didn't, the time. I but, didn't warm uh, to it, I just didn't care. It, because it was, when mm. I was that age, I didn't care about anything that was just men, just people. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, well, there's, there's a dog. With the exception, <laughs> with the exception of like Thundercats, Ghostbusters, I oh, needed sure. my cartoons to be... You know, funny shaped animal or alien people, you know, or monsters or whatever. No, so this one, I mean, of course, I read it because you know it was my first Sonic comic and I cherished yeah. it and I read every word, but I didn't understand it and I didn't get it. And now I think it's really cool. Now the fact that that you say you didn't understand it is an interesting point, and I think it factors in a little to the approach that some of the other strips would take in this the early years of this. This is based on Revenge of Shinobi because it is about the plot yeah. of that game. But it does take as read that you know what Shinobi is and is about. Sort of. Not 100%, because it does introduce you to it, and it does tell you who the baddies are. And and it, it you only find out what he's doing there on the last page when he drops down to amongst the ninjas and says, you will tell me where the girl is now. The rest of it, it's just a ninja stalking. And that, I thought perhaps that might be like a shocker. Is like, this is what he's doing here. But I guess we'll find yeah. out how that plays out in, in the next issue. So although there is this pinch of presumed knowledge, um, it is still an adaptation of the game. But it's not an origin story, if you know what I mean. It's not an origin story, but nor is it, as the Sonic story was, like, here's some stuff you do in the game, check it out. Yeah. This basically goes, we've got the concept of a ninja and his enemies, and it could not be a property, and it would be the same. The thing that jumps out at me with the differences, and we'll talk about it when we come to Golden Axe again in a minute as well, the games had stories to them, pl- actual plots that drove the action forward, and Sonic didn't. Yeah. Like, Sonic had a story, but it was just Sonic beat Robotnik. Yeah. And you didn't kill Robotnik at the end of the game, like 
so many mm-hmm. other games where you would kill the arch body. Yes, and it's interesting the way the games differ, because they're almost the other way around. With Sonic, there's so much richness to what you're actually doing while you're playing it, whereas in both Shinobi and Golden Axe, both of which I played for the first time this week... I have never played them, so I'm, I'm glad to know that it was only this week. <laughs> you are just a person walking forwards and killing enemies. Um, And so it's therefore worth pointing out that that's not what he's doing in this. They go to great pains to explain that he's not killing anyone. Mm. Now, that could be, presumably is, because of the age they're pitching the comic to, but it makes him a more impressive fighter, I think. As you read in this comic, he's doing all this stuff, like Batman and so on, where he knows exactly what to do to incapacitate a person without killing them, apparently without seriously injuring them either. And it looks good. uh, I really enjoyed this comic a lot. Yeah. It's all told through narration, through narrative captions. There is a sense of removal from it. The unknowable ninja. You don't hear the character's thoughts, so you just have the narration describing what this unknowable shadow being is is doing. Things like, the night holds its breath, nothing stirs at his passing. It's stuff like that. It's all part of the atmosphere of the comic. The pacing of it and the narration of it create genuine atmosphere that distinguishes it immediately from Sonic and from, yes. gosh, any other strip I can really remember in the series. It, it More than most strips, it really had a unique identity of its Do own. Do you know what? It's only now, even though I've already said it on this podcast, it's only now occurring to me that this is the same writer as the Sonic strip and yeah. ju- how different those two things are and therefore how deliberate that difference is. Yeah, yeah. News And this is the news that the Mega Drive 2 is coming out. Remember that? Yeah, well, that was my Mega Drive. Oh, mine was a 1. Well, I came to it late, you see, so I had a 2. I mean, it says here it's basically the same machine. (laughs) That's the big hype line of this news item, is that it's the same the buttons are red now yes i'm not actually sure why they did it i mean i know why they came up with a new mega cd the original mega cd was a gigantic block about the size of a vcr and here it's something not much bigger than a portable disc man much more sensible i had a mega cd one which abby my wife listeners got me for i think it was like my 20th birthday or 21st birthday or something like that and unfortunately, neither of us realised that we had mismatching tech. It was a Mega Drive 2 and a Mega CD 1. And Oh no! You connected the original Mega Drive by putting this metal plate on top of the Mega CD. And that had the right holes and catches that you could put your Mega Drive onto somehow. And it didn't match the Mega Drive 2. But I didn't really notice that that was what the problem was. And I thought it was just like... Cool, this is tricky. So I basically forced it on, and I don't. Maybe I even broke it in the process. I don't know, but it all worked. It actually did work. Ooh. The other news we've got is that Street Fighter 2 is coming out on the Mega Drive. Yeah. Had it been on the SNES already? Yes, and in fact, the, the SNES is famous for having had it. I think fighting games are the one kind of games that I got maddest about. So I don't, I don't, I don't really, really play fighting games anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got news of something called the Sega Challenge. Chris Evans and Violet Berlin Uh, Chris Evans, the presenter of The Big Breakfast and Violet Berlin of Bad Influence Cultural timecast There's a quote from them here where he, Violet, basically, her quote is, I authentically know about video games Yes. Chris Evans is, is, I don't, but I saw a car (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's such a strange thing It's the 1993 UK Senior Sega Championship and it's held at the Williams Formula One team headquarters in Didcot, Oxfordshire. So they have Williams Formula One Grand Prix driver Damon Hill, uh, who arrived by helicopter, fresh from a qualifying session for the Easter Sunday European Grand Prix, to give the two winners their prizes. 
And this was the strange space video games occupied at the time. They couldn't command their own thing. It had to have this cultural overlap. That's right. And the prizes were some bits of sweaty driving gear sweated in by racing drivers. I know. Well, no, no. They each won a mega CD and a VIP trip to the British Grand Prix at Silverstone and automatic entry into the Sega European Championship in Germany. Oh, hey, okay. So the games they had to play are Sonic 2, Road Rash 2, and something I didn't know about called Thunder Force 4, which is a shmup. Never heard of it. Which has a pretty rad soundtrack. (laughs) <laughs> done on the full Sonic chip because you know how there was the two ways of doing music the Mega Drive could do yeah. this one get the soundtrack to Thunder Force 4 on YouTube it's it's good I'll have a listen Were you familiar with the Jaguar XJ220 on the Mega Uh No, Chris, because I was familiar with Jaguar XJ220 on the Amiga. <laughs> I could not get my car-loving friend to stop playing it when he came around my house, to the extent that I couldn't get him out of my house so that I could watch Mork and Mindy and eat my tea. So, And you never spoke again. That It's possible we never spoke again. <laughs> That was one of the last times I would have seen him, actually. Yeah, on the Amiga, it had one of the best soundtracks ever. If you tune in to, like, Demo Scene Radio now, you're still going to hear Jaguar XJ220 music. Driving game, was it? Yeah, it's a driving game. It's just a racing game. I don't care about the game. The music by Martin Iverson. Oh, I know that name. Lots of tracks that managed to sit perfectly on the line between, like, chill out and somehow still suitable for racing, too. Seriously, if listeners pop to YouTube and listen to the soundtrack to Jaguar XJ220 on the Amiga, it's gorgeous. Now, the Mega CD version, I looked it up. It seems to have something similar going for it, and it actually seems perfectly fine, except that I don't care about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about the Amiga. Yep. Uh, Over in the short bursts, Jungle Strike. The sequel to Desert Strike. And then B.O.B., a game I don't remember except to look at, and that's probably from this screenshot probably here. From the, yeah, I don't remember it. I do all. enjoy that it's set on the planet Goth. I know, right? And <laughs> also and also that I like the action being described as passion killing. <laughs> yes, because he's uh, on his way to a date. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, that's why. They, no, it's not because it's so ferocious that it'll kill Yeah, it passion. says over 45 levels of passion killing danger, which I took to mean like, you know, after a few <laughs> levels, you, you'll hate it. And then the last one is they're announcing the release of the first two Sonic game books, the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And here we go. Yes. From uh, Fantail. They're coming out in June. Mm. The first one, Metal City Mayhem, is really dear to my heart because um, I was given it, um, it helped me through a whole day of feeling very poorly uh, while being dragged around a town by my family on on holiday or something. I've told James Wallace, the writer of the book, that I only stopped reading it to blast the cobbles of the restaurant courtyard we were eating at with vomit. And um, <laughs> and I told James that he, he shouldn't take that as a review, but he seemed delighted. <laughs> James Wallace, fun story. It's not a fun story, but it's a piece of information I'm going to say with my mouth. James Wallace is one of three people who together wrote under the pseudonym of Martin Adams, Martin Adams. four Sonic novels that came out around this sort of time, two of which were flipping brilliant. Which two? The time-travelling one. Correct. And I can't remember, but I thought I liked another one. Doesn't matter, because the only (laughs) one that you need to read is the time travel one, because it's, oh my goodness, not to digress, Sonic the Hedgehog in the fourth dimension. That book 
is so formative to me. I'm not even joking. Yes. It's such a straight played, seriously done time travel. Yeah. Like the idea that there are beings that exist outside this reality that can, this is, we're digressing too much. Doesn't matter. Right? Keep talking about this. Sonic in the Fourth Dimension is brilliant. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It was so good. The idea of like beings that shouldn't be allowed to exist, that the agents had to keep curtailed outside of reality. And it's stuff. very oh. Doctor Who, isn't it? Or, you know, whenever two versions of something that created by a time paradox, when they touched each other, that they could could, Yeah, that's definitely the first time I heard of that. Xenos the anti-sonic. The mythos creatures. Yeah, I, I, at one point, was going to adapt it into a comic. And they were going to fire the chaos emeralds of the big man to create a warped reality in which beings like this. Golden Axe. With a script from Mark Ailes, uh, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, E-Y-L-E-S, a prolific person in general uh, who does all sorts of different things, but who for our purposes is and was at the time most notably a writer and designer for video games, including at Sega. The art is by Mike White, a celebrated British comics artist of primarily action-y Boise comics, sadly no longer with us, uh, who, assuming it's the same Mike White, because it's, you know, the sort of name that lots of people could have, uh, was once the artist behind a strip so violent it caused public outcry and the suspension of the comic it was in. Well, Golden Axe was always a nice-looking comic. It is very much from the school of British boys' action stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And letters by Elita Fell, a prolific letterer of British comics from my childhood. Lots of Sonic, Red Dwarf, Doctor Who. We're going to be seeing a lot of her work moving forward. So, The Legend of the Golden Axe, Citadel of Dead Souls, Part 1. This is the worst one. Yes. Um, yes. Okay, good. We're, just, we're glad we're on the well, same page. Again, I wasn't interested so I, at the time, so I find it very difficult to read it objectively. Oh, I can't get retroactively interested. Well, the problem is I... it's all barbarian hero stuff, and I don't care about that. Ditto. Don't care about high fantasy stuff like this, so it doesn't interest me anyway. But the thing that I find with this one that is easier to more objectively criticize is that if Sonic was the one that being designed as a mascot character, you could just tell random stories about. And Shinobi is the one that exists in a sort of in-between space where it's sort of doing the story of the game, but with a bit of presumed knowledge... This comic assumes you've played Golden Axe. If they hadn't bothered including an introductory caption to say that the events of Golden Axe 1 or whatever Golden Axe Uh game it is here have happened already, when you get to the end of the strip here and they go, oh, by all the gods, they're trying to resurrect Dark Gold. Well, I wouldn't know who or what that was if they hadn't mentioned it in the opening narration. Now, I think the reason for that is because at this point, STC, it doesn't really think of itself as a comic at this stage. At least not a standalone one. I'll tell you what this reminds Did you ever read Max Overload? Or was it Max Overdrive? One of those. No. Which was basically another attempt at making an STC by, I think, a different company. Mm-hmm. And it was, again, Sega Properties, again, presented as comics, but with, I think, a bit more games magazine content. You had Lemmings. You had Chuck Rock. You had, um, what was the weird surfer one? Green Dog. Oh, wow, Green Dog. Yeah. As with this first issue of STC, it really is just like, well, you've played the game, now read the comic. You know what this is already. Yeah. And that's, that's I mean, but you look at every strip that would follow this. Mm. Echo the Dolphin, Streets of Rage, uh, Kid Chameleon, Decap Attack. These are just to name the very next strips that all come through. They are all, two or one, adaptations yeah. of the games. 
not here's another adventure starring the stars of your favorite game. I'm really looking forward to Streets of Rage because I have this memory of, again, being uninterested in it as an 11-year-old, but then coming back to it when I was a teenager and going, wait, this is quite good. Wait, wait. They almost say dirty words sometimes <laughs> in this one. Is that what it was that I liked? It's possible. <laughs> it, it could be. Uh, but, I mean, you know who wrote Streets of Rage? I do know who wrote Streets of Rage, yes. You know who wrote Streets of Rage. Listeners, <laughs> you'll find out when we get there. Yeah. There's a couple of memorable moments I, I have never forgotten. Axe Battler full-on just slicing a lizard in half down the middle. Yep, that's uh, that happened. And that's what British co- kids' comics were like, you know? Even at the time, like, the Sonic, generally speaking, skews a little younger. We're in the 90s at this point, so things had got a little softer. But back in the 80s, within the last 10 years, British kids' comics were pretty messed up sometimes. You know, they were... It's the, uh, the society that birthed Doctor Who, you know? Yeah. Kids were used to genuinely horrible things happening to people and understanding it was fiction and it was in their comics too. The story here is simple. They have a big fighty. There's three people, the three people from the game. Axe Battler, who's the big barbarian. You've got Tyrus Flair, who's the woman barbarian. She's an Amazon. Oh, beg pardon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what's the dwarf called? Gilius Thunderhead, the dwarf. Which is a pretty great name. Yeah. They have a big fight. Axe Battler gets knocked out and left for dead, but a sorceress ties up the other two and takes them to the evil sorcerer's lab, where they find out he's resurrecting whoever Dark Gold is to serve him, which Dark Gold is unlikely to do. Yes, and he also has And he's got the golden axe. Which is a thing, apparently. Yeah, and meanwhile the villagers decide to physically obliterate the body of Axe Battler in different ways they can't quite agree on. Yeah, cheerful. It's funny, it's quite like the Sonic strip in its way, in that it's just about running through the things from the game. They all make a point of going through their... The spe- use low-level spells. Yes. The, the specific powers yes. that they have. Or, you know, even describing Tyrus's fighting moves as Tyrus launched into her somersault kick followed by a double yes. jump slash. And it's like, come on, bro, <laughs> give me a break. I reread this, ready to do this podcast, before I'd played the game, and then I played the game, and now, looking at it again... Yeah, I'm seeing all stuff that I recognize now. The dragon that that lizard's riding on. In the game, you would be able to knock the lizard off and ride the dragon and use it to breathe fire and everything. So that was pretty cool. I love the names here. I I don't know if they're from the game or not. Yeah, I don't know. They they sound a bit more like something the comic would have come up with. I am Rigia Mortius, captain of the Sorcerer Black Spells Elite Guard. I am Ultima, disciple of Sorcerer Blackspell, the great necromancer. I think that is exactly what you should do when you're given something like this to play with. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's no judgment in that at all. Those are... Yeah. Rigia Mortius? That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. when, you're already, when you're already dealing with a hero called Axe, Axe Battler. Battler. Yeah. <laughs> that is something that feels like somebody having a rare spot of fun in what generally comes off as a bit of a po-faced comic. Yes. Like, they try to have fun with Gilius, but it, it never seems to land. No, it's, to it's me, the usual... have a rat burger and he throws a rat, you know, and it's like... I mean, I do, I do like the swear. Gorgon's arm! The, yeah, there's some good ones. <laughs> yeah. Tyrus and Axe Battler are pretty just straight played as they are. And... Yes, this is written in the style of precisely the sort of fantasies that Terry Pratchett did away with. Yeah, I mean, and that's it. And I've never cared for high fantasy stuff like this, so Golden Axe never interested. The only part me. that I'm really genuinely into here is finding the details in the uh, evil sorcerer's lair at the end. Oh, got yeah, a Sonic I never even looked close enough. <laughs> Check out the Sonic statue top left, hiding away in the bookshelf. 
a crow just writing stuff. Writing on, with, on parchment with a quill dipped in blood. I'll get it! <laughs> oh my god, we were thinking the same thing. <laughs> oh, and then you've got the skeleton just sitting yeah, just, at the desk. No, uh, no, no, that's his chair. <gasps> Whoa, cool, you're right! <laughs> It's oh, his chair. sweet! See that? Oh, that's fun. well good. Okay, finding the little bits of fun yeah. Not, clearly, I wasn't bothered enough to look closely the first time round. <laughs> yeah. So overall, what we have here is that this is a barbarians and stuff high fantasy world. One of them is knocked out and is about to be set upon by villagers. The other two are the captives of an evil sorcerer who's doing something evil, and that's pretty much that. It's very rote, even if fantasy is your thing. <laughs> so that's all of the stories we have this week. This fortnight. Yes, because this is an unusual issue. There were normally four strips in a Sonic the Comic, but in this issue there were only three. Yes, I thought it felt a bit light. And and the remaining pages that would have been taken up with comics are taken up with adverts for the fact that there will be future issues of this. But before we get to them, there is the Q Zone. What's Q for, Chris? Uh, Q's for question. Oh, is it? Q's for query. Oh. Q is for quandary. Oh. I believe I learned the word quandary from this... <laughs> That you can enter the Q zone for hints, tips, and help with your favourite Sega games. It says here. Yeah, because this is how we uh, how we used to have to find out. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Didn't have the internet Kids. back then. No like, internet. There's not much to really say about this page because we're not going to go through the individual no, we're not. cheats here. But I mean, this is back whenever games actually had real cheats in them. You could put a code in and skip levels and gain infinite infinite lives and whatever. It's not it's not a thing. Anymore. Yes, although if you then go to the end of the section, there is a game genie section yes. down the side. A game genie, if you don't know, was a thing made by Codemasters. It was a British product. You slotted your game cartridges into it. You slotted it into your console, and it basically just sort of bypassed some of the code or inserted code, so you could have cheats. Yeah, look at this Echo the Dolphin code here. Octopus is fatal. Yeah, I really want to turn that one on. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's worth noting that we have tips and cheats here for every game featured in the comic. Yeah. Golden Axe, Golden Axe 2, Revenge of Shinobi, Sonic 2 plus Road Rash 2 and yeah. Alien 3. Because generally the Q-Zone would be done in response to reader questions. So that's all the tips. And then we have the aforementioned sneak previews that let us know Streets of Rage is starting in issue number seven. Kid Chameleon is starting also in issue number seven. One of my all-time favorites. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. Oh, well, I'll actually read it this time. Oh, you didn't read it back I mean, in the day? I think I put my eyes over it and the words went in in the right order, but I, no, I don't think I read it. I don't remember it. Like, I always liked the art and I just liked the idea of being able to transform into the different heroes. Uh, the game did not live up to the comic, let me tell you. Uh, and then, yeah, Wonder Boy uh, starts next issue. Another one, actually, not to get ahead mm. of ourselves, but another one that would fall into the trap of assuming you had played the game and already cared about who the characters were. Because it's set after the events of... there. We had to research this because yes. we didn't know Wonder Boy. There are a lot of Wonder Boy games, but this one is set after Monster World, which was the first Mega Drive Wonder Boy game. Um, but this art, as Dave has pointed out, is is actually it's um, redrawn from a poster, a piece of artwork from Japan for the third Wonder Boy game, the Dragon's Trap Master System yeah. game. Yeah, and I haven't been able to find out what art it is, it, whether it's the cover art or whether it's just a promotional thing, I don't know. But they clearly wanted to put that picture in. And so we more or less wrap up the comic with Spies. Which is the letters page. But this, uh, we assume that uh, these are all fakey fakerson letters. I suppose Louise Robson, age six, could potentially be real. I don't know. But certainly, and without even scrolling down or zooming in, I can tell you that one of these letters is written by a Mr. Oldfash. 
Yes, who, as I recall, would get the odd mention going forward. He absolutely wrote a letter in the letters page of the first comic I ever printed. I just put a Mr. Oldfash letter, right? Put a Mr. Oldfash. In fact, I think I included a letters page just so I could have Mr. Oldfash turn up in it. There's one letter that I I thought at first could be real uh, from Stephen Curley of Manchester. So if I ever bump Mm. into him and let you know. Where he starts off by saying, like, my mum got me the preview issue and I've been looking forward to the comic. And then he just starts doing, like advertising copy for it he's like the best part about it is the price i can buy stc every fortnight and still manage to trough my way through 48 packets of what have you ever heard that before or since trough my way through a packet of what yeah i couldn't yeah that was weird i didn't get no, that yeah we can reverse engineer this and we can find out what whoever did write this letter thought was a reasonable amount of pocket money for a child in 1993 yeah. because 95p is the price of one issue of Sonic the Comic. If we found out how much a packet of Watsits was in 1993, add times that by 48 and add 95p and you we know exactly how, how much, much money he's and to, I don't know about you, it sounds like a lot. 48 packets of Watsits are a lot of Watsits. Even if they weren't very much, 48 times almost anything is a Say it's amount. 20p. That's five. Eight. Oh no, we've got to do maths now. Do maths live on air? Crap. Uh, let's let's see. It was about ten point, just shy of ten point. Of course, that's split over fortnight. So he's actually consuming twenty four packets of what's its per. Either week. way, what we're looking at is a five or <laughs> a week, and actually, that's not too unreasonable, is it? It's not what I was getting. That was my pocket money at the time, so. I had to buy a bus tickets at school, so... Yeah. Oh, did you? Oh, that's not fair. You had to get that out of your pocket money. <sighs> I could have walked, you see, if I really wanted to get home. Oh, so. my God. <laughs> oh, well, the next one is written by your dad, Mr. Oldfash. <laughs> <laughs> a curmudgeonly old miser. Oh, gracious. <laughs> I'm just going to read this one out. I'm not always going to do this, but this is Mr. Oldfash. No, this is classic. Yeah, Last of the Dinosaurs, they've titled it. I don't think Mr. Oldfash himself wrote that. And it says, Dear STC, not another computer magazine. Aren't there any other subjects that young people want to read about these days? I can't believe that you're poisoning the world with more of this mindless junk. Don't worry, listener. I'm well aware that this is made up. I know you won't print this letter because it's not complimentary. I just thought you ought to know how damaging and narrow-minded all this computer technology is becoming. I hope your comic falls flat on its face. Mr. Oldfash, Basingstoke, no badge winner. Because every letter printed won One a badge. Everyone else is Sonic badge winner. I mean, no, to my memory, it was the Sonic water game that was the big, long-lasting prize. It may have been long-lasting, but it wasn't as good as those hog tags. Do you remember those hog tags? Oh, the hog tags don't spring to mind. No. Sonic and Knuckles hog tags. It was just a pair of dog tags with the Sonic and Knuckles logo stamped on. Oh, that does actually ring a bell now. I've it, yeah. been to eBay so many times. <laughs> like, how dare I not own that? <laughs> it does seem like something that somebody should be pulling off your corpse, all right? So the Megadroid replies, Lighten up, old fash. You're not reading another computer magazine. Sonic the Comic is a first, a new comic for the video game age. If it's excitement you want, I suggest you stick to Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley. J.R. Hartley, and that was the first time I had heard of Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley. But, um... Mr. Oldfash, presumably standing for old-fashioned, although perhaps we've now, with modern parlance, discovered that he is in fact just an old fascist. (laughs) 
Mm. And uh, but then if you got printed, you would win a prize, which is a Sega Sational prize. It says here a brilliant Sonic Two badge <laughs> exclusive to STC, and it's the Greg Martin mm. design. Uh, and in fact, perhaps the single piece of artwork most responsible for the the American interpretation of his mohawk. Uh, single yeah, yeah, yeah. spikes because he's really yeah. defined his round head and put a shadow up against the spikes there and everything yeah. it's the one where he's leaning against the two and tails is poking around it from the other side absolutely categorically not an exclusive to stc badge yeah no. i had this badge eventually i got it off my friend who if he'd ever been printed in stc i would have known about it <laughs> i'm pretty sure you could just get this badge i don't know why they say it's exclusive and there we go. That's that's the letters page, and therefore pretty much the end of the comic, apart from the next issue inside back cover, and the data strip. It's a strip on the right hand side of the inside back cover. There's a feedback strip that could you could give your name and address. You could enter your any high scores or achievements you'd made on video games. What games you'd like to see turned into strips, and your your favorite stories from the issue, and then you could give it a percentage rating, like you were giving it a real video game review, like you see in the magazines. Yeah. And then the rest of the page is taken up with the uh, the advert for next issue, in which we are promised that it just gets better. It's just going to get better. You've got Wonder Boy and Demon World. Yeah, it's not what I'd lead with if I wanted to describe <laughs> how better the comic was going to get. But... And your free sonic the comic badge oh look at that beauty it's a uh, clip art <laughs> it looks like promotional art of sonic i don't know if that's the case but it looks traced yeah, yeah. it was only 95p how did they do it it was on sale on saturday the 12th of june and i ran to ask my mum to get that <laughs> and there we go that's the first issue of sonic the comic the comic that dominated certainly my comics reading life at the time absolutely in the 90s that was that was the comic i bought myself for those years that's why it's important to me you know it was yeah. mine that i bought with my money that i decided to have for me and myself you know? For me, I did not do that. This was a mum-supplied comic for me. But for me, the reason it was special was that it was... Sonic the Comic was my first ongoing, lasting comic that had its own story and was often flipping brilliant. Yep. And I'm really, really looking forward to rereading those moments because I haven't read them since I was a kid. And I still know that they were at least like... That I wasn't just wrong. <laughs> yes, it's genuinely good. It's not just the memories of childhood. But uh, we'll see more of that in the times to come. Because we, we have, will! Because we, we have to get through like the genuinely rubbish stuff at the start first. <laughs> <laughs> not for me, I like it. Because I was reading this at the time, so to me it's like, oh, I don't know, it's happy memories. I can remember why it was good. I don't know, man. Wait till you get a load of issue five. <laughs> Woofed. So that is Sonic the Comic issue one, the beginning of a whole thing. Over in America, at more or less the same time they've got their comics starting up, I think they may have beaten us to it very slightly, I'm not sure, I'd have to look up the dates. But I didn't give a monkeys about that, <laughs> I didn't know it existed, because we had the Sonic comic and that was all that mattered. It was in the name. Sonic the Comic. The Comic. Yeah. So whether you read it when you were young, or maybe for some reason if you've decided this is the first way you're going to experience it, or if you're reading along with us, um, I'm sure I speak for Dave when I say we hope you enjoyed it and we hope you'll come back for the next episode uh, I do not stand with Chris on this I hope you hated it and that is usually my aim in making any content no okay uh, well. is to reduce enjoyment in the audience and if you have and you want to see more of us you can follow me on Twitter at Chris McFeely that's all one word C-H-R-I-S M-C-F-E-E-L-Y that's also what I am on YouTube so you can check out the Transformers content that I post there and Dave I'm Demon Tomato Dave, all one word, on Twitter and YouTube and Twitch, 
uh, if you want to see me doing that sort of thing. And if you want to hear me talk about Disney films, then you want my other podcast, Serious Disney, which you will find if you look for it. Our opening theme was synchronised by Sonic the Comic The Band. This has been Sonic the Comic The Podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.